0: And it's interesting, a lot of times in these wage and hour claims, you'll see an industry or a particular job function like mortgage uh, call center people or, uh, you know, in your case, cycle trainers who all of a sudden we realize, hey, these people might have been misclassified and not paid for the work that they did. All of a sudden there'll be a slew of cases and uh, Mr. Orma is probably on the front end of this for for your listeners, where there'll be a legal determination based on his situation about uh, where does he fall? Is he exempt? Is he non-exempt? And is he entitled to overtime? Is he not entitled to overtime? Or entitled to be paid additional hourly pay? And at what rate for the time that he was performing these other duties?
1: This is Amy, the Senior
0: Group Fitness Instructor at the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Are you looking for a spark of inspiration to bring to your next class? Find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com.
1: Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. I'm John McGowan, and as always, you can reach me, John, at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. Last week, the big news surrounding SoulCycle was they have been sued by one of their former instructors. His name is Nick Oram. And he, along with his attorney, has filed a class action lawsuit. And I'm reading from an article uh, that I found online. And it says that Oram and other SoulCycle instructors, according to the complaint, are paid only for the 45 minutes during which each indoor cycling class is taught. The complaint alleges SoulCycle instructors work dozens of hours per week because they are, in quote, required to work above and beyond the time instructing a class. Now, the duties of SoulCycle's instructors, according to the complaint, include training, preparing for classes, developing routines, compiling playlists, communicating with customers, attending meetings, leading special event classes, and engaging in marketing efforts. So the question is, should instructor Nick Oram be paid for this additional time? Fascinating question that I'm guessing if you've taught for any length of time, you've been in a position where you've been asked to clean or stay after or show up for, as one instructor said, uh, attend a cleaning party, and it's kind of opened up this conversation says, you know, is this realistic? Is this proper? Is it legal? And, you know, what as an instructor are your rights to say no? But on the other side of it, recognizing that we have a lot of studio owners, managers that are listeners to the podcast, you know, what is realistic or legal for you to ask of your instructors? Well, I don't claim to know everything, but I know a guy that knows a lot more than I do. And I'd like everybody to meet somebody who I've worked with in the past, Nicholas May. And Nick is what they describe here in Minnesota as a MSBA certified labor and employment law specialist with Fabian May and Anderson. Nick May, welcome to the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast.
0: Thanks, John. Happy to be here.
1: Just to give everybody a little context, I didn't just grab your name out of the phone book. Um, I hired Nick here a number of years ago to help me resolve a dispute I had with a former employer who chose, decided, whatever you want to call it, not to pay me. Not only were you successful in negotiating a settlement, but surprisingly enough, the settlement was for more than we asked for, which I thought was awesome. So thanks again for that.
0: (laughs) No problem. I'm always
1: happy to help. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing from your perspective, not every um, dispute works out, correct? Correct.
0: No, that's true. Um, people uh, are often treated uh, what, by any rational definition as unfairly or uh, you know, disrespectfully in the workplace, but it doesn't necessarily always mean that you're entitled to get money or collect uh, additional wages or anything like that. But uh, generally, we try and help in any way we can.
1: To try to qualify our conversation here is that you you practice in minnesota these these lawsuits are actually happening in California and new york and and I'm a presuming I didn't ask you but you're li- technically not uh, what do you call it you don't oh, practice in those no, states
0: i I don't have a license in California or new york uh, some in it's it's important to note that different states have different labor and employment laws that will apply to the citizens of their state. There are, however, some federal uh, laws that also apply to employment, and the, I think the issue with Nick Oram and Sol Cycle uh, are going to involve probably both state and federal law. Uh, I haven't read the complaint, but that would be my assumption, um, because the, when you're dealing with overtime issues, um, there are some federal laws that address those.
1: Got it. Okay. Well, then the complaint is, as an instructor, he, and again, what, what's available for us as far as information is still somewhat sketchy, um, but you know, pr- prior articles that I've read about Soul Cycles instructors, that they're typically teaching about eight classes a week. For that, they tend to average, for the typical instructor there, about $50,000 a year, which works out to be $125 an hour. And they are as far as I can tell, technically employees, because they're offered a benefit package. Does one relate to the other, Nick?
0: Uh, Generally speaking, yeah. You know, usually when uh, you have a benefit plan for health or dental or those types of things, those plans are, are limited to the pool of people you can offer that to are generally employees.
1: Okay. Just your general thoughts after reviewing what you can find available, you know, how do you come down on this as far as whether uh, Mr. Orme has a claim
0: or not? It's always difficult to tell, Um, but generally speaking, he is going to, uh, you know, argue that, look, you know, I'm an employee, that I am what we describe as a non-exempt employee, which, uh, you know, under the overtime laws and what he's uh, which is what he, not just overtime but uh, minimum wage laws that he's going to be suing under he's you know he's arguing essentially look I should be paid uh, something for all the time that I've worked and the at least the federal law that applies that's called the fair Labor Standards Act says look you know there are some employees that are entitled to get paid uh, that way and there's some that aren't. Um, and we describe those as, you know, people who are exempt from the requirements of the Fair Labor Standards Act as exempt employees, and the people that are non-exempt are the people who are uh, subject and, and entitled to get paid. So he's going to be arguing that, look, I am uh, I'm a non-exempt employee, that I'm entitled to be paid for all of the time that I put in, and so he's that, that's essentially from what I've read. Uh, one of the arguments that he's making. And there are a number of different factors and tests that uh, I don't want to bore everybody to death with.
1: No, no, I'm sure everyone's going to be fascinated to hear how you describe this because this is almost universal and there's a bunch of other questions I'm going to ask to follow up on this, but keep going.
0: Essentially, there are a number of different factors that go into determining whether somebody's exempt or not. One of the, the tests are... You know, geez. For example, is he in a white collar position, or does he fit within an administrative exemption where he's performing a lot of the, you know, kind of business, tax, legal, other types of management, type of work for the company.
1: Promotions. Uh, that kind of thing. Promotions can about. fall.
0: Promotions and marketing can fall into that. But you know, a lot of times it it there's a it really gets into a detailed fact analysis about what he and these other folks that he's got involved in this case, what they actually do. And, you know, because obviously there can be job descriptions out there that say, well, geez, your, your job is to, you know, run these cycling classes and, you know train these people and make sure that they don't get hurt and all those types of things that may and I've never seen this job description. I'm just kind of assuming that might be uh those might be some of the items that are in there but you know oftentimes uh jobs w- w- regardless whether we're a cycling instructor or we're you know a janitor or a teacher or whatever we might do our jobs can can change over time where we're actually we may have been hired to do this, and this we view this as our primary job, but, you know, look, we're spending 15%, 20 50% of our time actually doing other things that were not really in the job description, but in reality is part of our job. And I think what he's arguing is, look, you know, I am an instructor, uh, and I have to go teach these classes, but really I'm being asked to do a whole bunch of other stuff for this company and from what I've seen, attending meetings, talking about marketing, uh, preparing for the classes, uh, all these other different things that aren't necessarily just providing instructional time for the customers or the clients that are coming in. And he's saying, look, uh, I should get paid for that. Those don't fall in some of these administrative or other exceptions that might exist, and I should be paid for that time.
1: It's not a very distinct line.
0: Absolutely not. It's it's a very cloudy line.
1: Correct. Yeah, because as I'm, because you're speaking here, I'm thinking, okay, what do I normally do? And, you know, the thousands of people listening to this, you know, are thinking the similar thing in that, okay, I teach a class, I'm scheduled, I taught this morning before I got back here, and the class is 45 minutes long. Okay, but to to teach that class, I have to be there 10 minutes early or so to help people. Before that, though, I had to prepare for the class. You know, it may have taken me an hour to put my profile together, put together my music playlist. You know, I might have spent some time educating myself about how I use my music account. You know what I'm saying? Those kind of things. Yep. And at the end of the class, you know, there's an expectation for me to... Schmooze a little bit with the members, answer questions, and so you know, you, you, where? How, how 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 do you decide what is enough and what or what is too much as far as an expectation from management to you perform those duties?
0: Again, let me just make one distinction here because I know from John from our prior discussions that there are folks who are independent contractors that do this as well as folks who are employees. But just so we're clear, the folks who are independent contractors, and they come in and they say, look, I'll come teach this class for, you know, $50 or $100 or whatever the amount is. <laughs> yeah, they, we wish. <laughs> yeah, okay. Whatever, $10. Uh, okay. They come in and, and teach this class for a set fee. If you're an independent contractor, that's what you're getting paid. And they, there's no... Uh, no additional amounts that you're entitled to get. You're, you're not an employee. They don't have, they've said, look, you come in, do do this job for this you know, period of time, and we'll pay you X amount of dollars. So obviously, if you want to be asked back again, you may be doing some prep time to get ready for that class. You go in and you teach the class, and maybe there's some follow-up. I don't know. But that's all you're entitled to is the contracted amount that you agreed to. The FLSA or the Fair Labor Standards Act doesn't apply to independent contractors. You're not entitled to minimum wage for all the time you work. You're not entitled to overtime. If you're an independent contractor, you're just entitled to what you've contracted to get paid. So I just want to make sure when we're talking about this, we're talking about just the folks who are employed as in, in an employer-employee relationship with the, the studio that might be providing the, the classes. So getting back to that, if... if Generally speaking, again, this kind of falls on. that. And I don't mean to repeat myself, but the it comes down to whether or not these people are exempt or non-exempt, and I don't know. Generally speaking, uh, how this is going to shake out. Uh, oftentimes, um, you know, using your example, um, if you're if you were an employee, maybe you're entitled to get paid. That you may be entitled to get paid for all of the time that you worked doing the prep and everything else. The courts are going to uh, obviously decide this, and it's interesting a lot of times in these wage and hour claims, you'll see an industry or a particular job function like mortgage uh, call center people, or uh, you know, in your case, cycle trainers, who all of a sudden they, we realize, hey, these people might have been misclassified and not paid for what they're the work that they did. All of a sudden, there'll be a slew of cases, and uh, Mr. Orma is probably on the front end of this for, for your listeners, where there'll be a legal determination based on his situation about uh, where does he fall, is he exempt, is he non exempt, and is he entitled to overtime, is he not entitled to overtime. Is he entitled, or just
1: additional hourly pay. Or,
0: or entitled to be paid additional hourly pay, and at what rate for the time that he was performing these other duties. And it's important to note, you know, this is another question that comes up. Oftentimes you say, look, you know, uh, somebody like you or somebody like Nick Oram, you know, there's no question that the, the real value to the studio that you're providing is when you're doing the instructing. But th- there may be other jobs uh, or other responsibilities, in picking up, cleaning up, uh, preparing and other things, there's nothing wrong with an employer saying to an employee, look, for the hour that you're instructing, I'm going to pay you this. But for the time that you're spending doing these other jobs, I'm only going to pay you that, which may be substantially less than the time that you're, uh, the pay that you're getting.
1: Uh, which is, which is common. Which you know, is I com- know where I teach, yeah, we have an, an instructor rate, and then there's a meeting rate, you know, if we have to go to the hall club meeting, that type of thing, which is considerably less.
0: And at that point, you're really just dealing with the minimum wage. Either are you satisfying the minimum wage uh, requirements? Or the other argument is, you know, was was there a, um, some sort of agreement that, look, really you were going to be paid your class teaching rate? for everything, you know, and, and that again gets into the minutia of a particular deal and particular conversations and particular past practices at different studios.
1: Alright, so am I hearing you Nick saying that, you know, so much of this can be avoided um, by properly structured in- agreements so that there aren't expectations on either direction that aren't met?
0: Absolutely, you know, and, and that's, you know, just True for life, right, managing expectations and being clear about what is going on. And where Cycle may have some exposure is the fact that they weren't paying him anything for these meetings and other things, at least that's what he's alleging. Uh, and if they're not paying him anything for that, that can be a problem. But, you know, if the employer is, is clearly communicating, this is the deal that I'm offering you to come work for me, and these are the terms under which we'll agree to employ you, Uh, You know that's good for the employer because it's clear for them, and it's also good for the employee because they can make a decision about, well, do I want to work here or do I want to go down to the uh, studio down the street where I might be able to get a better deal? And then there's no miscommunications, and frankly everybody's happier when you're entering into an agreement like that where everybody knows what's going on. And there's a lot less uh, chance that there's going to be a fight down the road. (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. The failure of communication is the root of most problems. Um, could it be that SoulCycle saying that, you know, that to their instructors saying, look, we're paying you this enormous rate and understand, Nick, you know, most instructors. Well, you told me that you uh, offline, you told me that you participate or why? YMCA. YMCA's, you know, their instructors get free membership, but they're paid at a very low rate typically. Even the big boxes aren't famous for paying a lot of money, uh, but but SoulCycle is very different in that they're paying a very high rate. Could it be that their their position is well? Look, we're paying you this huge rate because you're you know a rock star instructor, but at the same time that rate is dependent on you filling the studio. Therefore, there are obligations from a marketing. Perspective, for example, that 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 coincide with your teaching, and the two together are what we're paying you for.
0: Yeah, there is there, in the Fair Labor Standards Act. Again, and I'm just talking about the federal law. There's there is a argument in a provision in the law that in some of the cases that allows Cycle to make an argument that look, you can't look at just the hour that they're doing this, this pay you can uh, spread over the other times and other responsibilities that uh, Nick or Orem or anybody else has. And really what you do is you, you can sort of divide that pay among all the hours that they're working. And if, as long as we're paying them the minimum wage, we're safe. I don't know how the court's going to come down on that. That's one of the arguments that SoulCycle may make. I don't know how successful they'll be making that argument. Um, again, it it all is dependent on sort of the expectations, the job duties, and and other things. Um, so it's it's difficult to say that, but I guarantee you they'll make that argument. And how how successful they are with that remains to be
1: seen. Exactly right. All right. So again, circling back to this whole thing about expectations, if if you're listening to this and you're a manager or a studio owner, your recommendation then, Nick, would be to make certain that. You're communicating with your instructors, your employees, exactly what their job descriptions are.
0: Really, the first thing to do is this: is is do an honest audit and assessment about what these people are doing for you, right? You know, you can have an understanding about what their primary job duty is. Look, you're an instructor, okay? So you know, you can say that and think to yourself, "Well, really, what they do is instruct all the time," but if if they're at the studio for forty hours a week and they're only teaching for ten of those hours. Is an instructor really the main thing that they're doing? What responsibilities do they have? Are they you know, it could be that they're they're, you know, cleaning the toilets. All right. On the other hand, they could be doing the bookkeeping. Uh, I don't you know, it can run the gamut from all sorts of different things and it's it's good to do an assessment, uh, make sure the job descriptions are, are accurate and go and and if you have some questions about whether geez my team these people properly Uh, You know, here's here's the shameless plug for lawyers. Right, is you you should consult with an attorney uh, and just say, look, here are the different jobs uh, or different categories of employees I have. Here are their job uh, descriptions. This is and it's an accurate portrayal of what they do. This particular function, you know, five hours a week they do this one, ten hours a week tell me what are my obligations for paying them during this period of time, that period of time, Do I have to pay them over time. You know, all those types of questions. So you have a good, clear understanding of what your obligations are to the employee because regardless of whether you and the employee, you know, if you're a management person and the employee agree to, even if you agree to something that's illegal, and the employee determines that down the road, they can still come after you and say, look, you should have paid me for that time, or you should have paid me that overtime. In regard,
1: so, so well, Just to interrupt you, the, well, the whole please, point there is that to get ahead of some potential very expensive uh, lawsuit. Or,
0: it's a penny-wise, pound-foolish situation. Is it going to cost you a few bucks to go talk to a lawyer and make sure you're in compliance? Yes. Is it going to cost you a heck of a lot more if you're facing a class action lawsuit down the road where they can get their pay, sometimes double their pay, plus their attorney's fees after a number of years of grueling litigation? Yeah, that's going to cost you a lot more.
1: Got it, because that's the real horror story, your attorney's fees.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it can be. But on the same token, if these folks haven't been paid for, you know, let's just, for an example somebody hasn't been paid for five hours or 10 hours uh, a week that they should have. And you multiply that by 20 or 30 people and you can go back two or three years. I mean, that that starts to end up being real dollars. And then on top of that, under the federal law, anyway, we, we can liquidate that amount, which means double it in some cases, which can really start to add up quickly for an employer.
1: All right. When we shift to the independent contractor, all right. And I had a bunch of questions, and, and some of them we've a t- a addressed, some of which, some of the questions that were asked, you explained that it's really not your area of expertise, so we have to kind of stay with it away from it. You know, I had a, a bunch of questions about liability insurance.
0: Sure. I, I mean, I can offer some general advice about that. I mean, okay, the really what insurance is is, is hedging your bets with respect to potential problems that come down the road. And if you're, you know, an independent contractor and not an employee, you know, you may want to go out and investigate that. And just as you would do with any insurance, I think you want to first look at the the scope of the coverage and determine, geez, does this cover what I view to be, you know, realistic things that may occur and subject me to some sort of liability? And yes or no? And if the answer is well, yeah, it does, then of course you have to do the analysis of well, I have to pay this premium, and is do I think the odds of me getting stuck with some huge liability down the road is worth paying that premium? Well, I don't know the answer to that. That's something that every individual trainer would probably have to, you know, go through that cost-benefit analysis themselves. But you know, it, it never hurts. I, generally, it's Free to go talk to somebody and get a copy of the policy and take a look at it and see if it makes sense for you.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I'm I'm guessing some people's uh, homeowners insurance may cover them for some liability that may or may not. Um,
0: I don't know. Uh,
1: protect them, right? But you have to
0: go and look at those policies again to, to see. If
1: correct. I suppose. Yeah. And at that point, talking to your insurance guy or gal would be a good idea as well. But, but I have heard and just if you're listening to this, if you are if, if you're questioning, especially if you're t- maybe working for a smaller facility, I have heard stories of insurance policies that did not get renewed in those places that were struggling financially. Um, and so you can't rely on thinking that where you're teaching has you covered. Does that that make was sense? a good
0: question to ask uh, <laughs> right. on a regular basis.
1: Right. Exactly. Okay. Well, then there's another question I had. Nick was again, speaking as an independent contractor. Can the business make demands on you as far as say what you wear and those type of things? If as an independent contractor,
0: there, it's kind of a sliding scale, right? I mean, the, there's there's a number of factors in determining whether somebody's an employee or an independent contractor, and oftentimes in litigation that can become actually a flashpoint and something people are fighting about because, uh, you know, your your rights and obligations may change depending on how you characterize this person. But generally speaking, uh, when you're talking about what to wear or, you know, the hours and all these other things, the the right to control the person is the number one defining Factor that a court would look at generally uh, to determine whether somebody is an employee or an independent contractor. And that can be, you have to use our equipment. You have to be here at a certain time. You have to be, uh, and and they control the method and all those other things of how you do your job. And so, you know, requiring somebody to wear a uniform, which is when they're, I assume, uh, it's another way of putting, you know, you have to wear whatever they're telling you to wear that says, you know, I work for ABC Studio or something like that. You know, that would be a, a factor to take into consideration. Just, you know, saying, hey, you have to wear this T-shirt while you're doing the instructing and without anything else probably is not enough to create an employment relationship. It's sort of... Uh, uh, a number of different factors that kind of come together under the totality of the circumstances that would flip it one way or the other.
1: Gotcha. But ultimately, we, we don't want this to end up in litigation, right?
0: Well, <laughs> having, com- not, com-
1: having communications, you know, ex- having feeling like, or or how do I say, expressing concerns, even though they may not, they may not be comfortable for you. Is probably on the front end with whoever you're working for. That may be helpful at some level.
0: It's, like you said earlier, it's, uh, communication is key. And uh, you know, generally speaking, I would imagine that if uh, even for an independent contractor, if they're going to a studio, and I, I may be wrong about this, but that they're going to say, "Look, what we're looking for is somebody to cover these shifts uh, or these these classes, and uh, this is what we'd kind of expect of you." Um, and you know, you you wouldn't have Obviously, you'd show up, you'd do your class, and you you you'd go home. The prep time and, and all that other things that go, I assume go into you know, providing uh, the clients with a good experience and a good class, that's something you're obviously doing on your own time, and you're, you're just getting paid that contracted rate by the, by the studio.
1: It's common for an instructor, to, as I was explaining, to have prep time in advance of teaching their class, Yep. is there a claim to that time? Say, I, okay, so I'm teaching an hour this morning, but I spent an hour preparing for it. Is there some claim that I would have to say, well, wait a minute, you need to be paying me for that extra hour of prep that I was doing?
0: If you're an employee, arguably you should be getting paid for that time. And again, there's exceptions to the, the FLSA, but generally speaking, if you're an employee and you're performing work on behalf of a the employer you should be getting paid for that time if you're an independent contractor however no you're not entitled to get paid extra you're instead you know each contract is sort of looked at as a one-off where you're coming in you're teaching this class and you're getting paid X and whether you, what you have to do to prepare you know the employer can't control that okay that's one thing they can't tell you how you're going to prepare or, or anything like that but uh, on the flip side you don't get paid for it either or or you work it into your contracted amount. You know, you say, look, I'm, I'm, I I'm, know I'm going to be doing, you know, some time. So in my own mind, I'm going to raise my rate to, to cover that. You know, that's the other thing you, you deal with that.
1: I draw the correlation when I met my wife, Amy. You know Amy, you've met her. Uh, we call her the senior group fitness instructor here at the podcast. When I met her, she was a flight attendant. and. Flight attendants, historically, well, there was a time when they got paid very well for what that they do, but that all changed because it becomes became such a glamorous job that they realized, well, we don't need to pay these people anything because they just want to be flight attendants. And so there's, there's the potential for, a, I don't want to call it abuse, but it, it, it borders on that. I think the same thing happens here with instructors. You know, we derive value just from the being able to say we're an instructor so many of us get free memberships at our club it does create kind of a potential for abuse well it's it's,
0: it it really comes down to supply and demand right i mean it's it's an economic thing and there's you know you some people might label it abuse but you know at the same time the studio is going to turn well well,
1: because all my questions they all have the same word take advantage of me yeah. on them. And that's kind of what I'm getting at.
0: It may not be fair uh, and it may not be right, but it doesn't necessarily, because you're competing with these folks to get the work and there might be somebody out there that's just doing it for the love of the thing and, and all the mm-hmm. rest.
1: Which is, defines many of us.
0: Yes. Um, you, you know, it doesn't change the fact that or, or, or create some sort of legal liability because you the service you provided in in your mind or somebody else's mind is worth more. It's it's a complete market thing where you know the employer or here the studio as an employer and an independent contractor can say, look, this is what we're offering. You guys are, when you guys are agreeing to do it for less money or uh, and that's what the market is bearing. That's the way it is. And unfortunately, that's you know that doesn't have anything to do necessarily with uh, the wage and hour laws. It's just kind of supply and demand.
1: Well, Nick May, thank you. Enjoyed all your commentary here on this. And uh, we're going to keep our eyes open and see what happens with our friend Nick Orem and Soul SoulCycle. Um, but again, so thank you f- for your time, Nick. Thank you, Jack. Thanks for listening to the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast, the voice of indoor cycling. You can find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com and we're in the iTunes Music Store search indoor cycling and subscribe to our free podcast now if you're like most instructors you're struggling with finding the time to create the perfect class profile and the music playlist to go with it if that sounds like you consider a premium subscription to ICI Pro we've done all the work for you inside ICI Pro you'll find the largest collection of comprehensive class profiles for teaching conventional classes classes featuring heart rate and also power Contributed by the most diverse collection of master trainers and rock star instructors on the planet. Every profile includes a complete music playlist we guarantee your class will enjoy. Combine ICI Pro with Spotify and you could be ready to teach an awesome class in minutes. Visit IndoorCycleInstructor.com forward slash pro and start your no risk trial subscription today.